0: So, please join me on this journey of learning, self growth, and connection with your source. Welcome to the It Is Taught podcast. So, today's episode is going to be quite different than what we've done so far on this podcast. If you've been following along, then you know that what we usually do, our usual programming is that we go through the daily Tanya and I kind of learn it together with you and try to make the text as relatable and accessible to you as possible. Um, But today we're actually not gonna be looking at the Tanya. Instead, we're going to be looking at some current events that are going on. And uh, namely, specifically looking at the current war that's raging in Israel against Hamas, against the evil terrorist organization Hamas, and try to glean some spiritual insights into it, try to make sense of what's happening on a spiritual level. I've decided to divide this podcast into, uh, make it into a series, a a short series actually, uh, just because there's a lot to say on the topic. And as we'll see, you know, it's a a really big topic that I'm going to be tackling, so Today's episode is part one of I don't know how many parts there's going to be. I guess we'll see as we go along. Uh, Today we're really just going to be giving an introduction to the topic at hand. uh, Talk a little bit about what it is that we're going to be uh, discussing in future episodes in this short series, which is based on uh, a sicha given by the Rebbe in the year 5726, or that's 1965 in the English calendar. And uh, and this was a sicha that was given on Parshas Breshis, based on the first Rashi of Parshas Breshis. and we're going to talk about you know the we're going to learn together the sicha itself, and I will share some of my. Thoughts on the Sicha as well, in terms of the relevance of the Sicha to current events that are happening today in terms of the war in Israel, the rise of anti-Semitism, the Jewish people as a whole, and our connection to the land of Israel. So for context, I'm recording this episode today on, on November 16th, 2023. The Hebrew date is Gimel Kislev, 5784, the year 5784. And today marks the 40th day since October 7th since the tragic events of october 7th in israel where on that day hamas terrorists terrorists, accompanied by willing and eager Gazan civilians quote unquote broke through the barrier separating gaza from israel and engaged in the bloodiest and most vicious pogrom against the jewish people that we've experienced since the holocaust this massacre of october 7th which resulted in a total of what's been calculated to be Uh, 1,200 innocent lives, as well as the kidnapping of over 240 people into Gaza by Hamas and by these quote-unquote Gazan civilians together. So this massacre prompted Israel to declare war, something which it has not done, at least on this scale, since the Yom Kippur War in 1973. So the massacre that occurred on October 7th and the subsequent war that happened afterwards are sort of like the you know the facts on the ground of you know the the immediate this is this is what's going on in the world right now. However, two significant kind of side effects have resulted from these events. The first of which is this tremendous display of unity that we see from the Jewish people all across the globe in a really astounding way. We see Jews who Otherwise, up until this point, were not affiliated at all or had very minimal affiliation with Judaism, suddenly finding... These, this really deep connection, you know, starting to keep Shabbos for the first time, put on tefillin for the first time, uh, where it sits us for the first time, light Shabbos candles for the first time. We also see non-religious Jews, religious Jews really coming together. We see religious Jews going into the army, signing up for army service in, uh, when they had never done so before. Um, we see them coming together and dancing together, singing together, helping each other out. Jews of all affiliations coming together. And I think this this sense of unity that the Jewish people have, which has always been there, it's just like times like this that it really emerges and comes out, I think can be kind of difficult for a lot of people who are not Jewish to relate to, really. Right after October 7th happened, uh, I got a text from a non-Jewish friend of mine, you know, checking in to see if my immediate family in Israel were okay. I have some, you know, family that lives in Israel. And thank God, you know, they were fine. They weren't immediately affected by the massacre. But you know what? Like, they they actually were, first of all, you know, because life in Israel has not been the same since. Um, sc- schools have closed down. Stores have closed down. Businesses have closed down, you know, due to the constant Barrage of rockets that Hamas continuously uh, sends into Israel. The sirens going into bomb shelters, things like that. Uh, as well as you know, a lot of these businesses had to close down just because the, there's so many men that are being called up to army service. Um, and Israel is such a small country. There, there's not the same labor. There's not. It, it doesn't have the same functionality as it did before. So, aside from the fact that, like, even those people, like my, like my immediate family, who weren't necessarily Uh, quote unquote, like immediately affected by the events, you know, thank God they were spared from some of the more horrific things that, um, that the people in the kibbutzim and the, and the rave experienced, Um, they very much are affected by what's going on. But aside from that, the thing I think that's really, you know, difficult for non-Jewish people to relate to is the facts that truly we actually are all one family, the entire Jewish people. So it's not just about, you know, once I know that, like my immediate family, my sister, my brother, my mother, my father, that they're all okay, then now I can breathe. Everything's fine. And, um, you know, obviously I care about everybody, but like... You know, they're not my family. For Jews, they are our family. For Jews, if we hear about even one Jewish person on the other side of the world that we've never met, we've never heard of before, it, it hurts us, it pains us. You know, if one part of, part of us bleeds, the entirety of us bleeds. And I think that this experience of October 7th is really making this really prominent, making us all realize this um, in a really strong way. So it's unfortunate, obviously, that, uh, that this had to come out through this tragic event, as so often does happen in history, that tragedy brings out our unity. But this is, we can say, one of the more positive side effects that, that has come about from everything that's been going on. Uh, by contrast, another kind of side effect we could say that's come about from this war is this Increase in anti-Semitism that we've seen all across the globe. Um, The latest statistics that I saw was that in America alone, the rates of anti-Semitic incidents, hate crimes, has risen over 400 percent, which is pretty astounding. We're seeing throughout Europe, you know, at these pro-Hamas rallies, hundreds of thousands of, of people rising up, chanting slogans that are not even subtle in their hatred for Jews. People saying things like "God forbid, Hitler was right," or uh, telling Jews to go back to Poland—these kind of things that just you know give us shivers. Like they're really reminiscent of the 1930s, the 1940s in Germany things that we never thought that we would experience as Jews in our history ever again. Like we're like, you know, we're we're in a civilized time. We're living in the year 2023. Like at this point we would have thought that society would have moved on from there. Right. But we're seeing, unfortunately that that's not true. And while, you know, quite a bit of the anti-Semitism is really overt. Like I've been saying, some of it is a little bit more subtle. Some of it is kind of couched in more political slogans, uh, like, for example, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's a really catchy kind of slogan. But if you really get down to what, what that slogan means, what river, what sea are we talking about here? You actually come to realize that it's actually a genocidal chant. And the, the river being referenced is the Jordanian River and the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. So basically what they're saying is that, the, which that area encompasses the entirety of Israel. So they're basically saying that, They want to claim ownership over that entire area. They no longer want or think that Israel at all has a right to exist. So it's not about a two-state solution at all. They're actually proclaiming that they want a one-state solution, a one-state of Palestine, no state of Israel. So yeah, so it's, you know, it's pretty intense what's going on. I'd like to think that a lot of these more Western, uh, you know, white, we could say, uh, liberal quote unquote, protesters are really speaking or really just, you know, gathering together and uniting with this cause out of ignorance rather than malice. I'd like to think that, but who really knows? Who knows how many of these people are just, you know, looking for a cause and are kind of naive to what this cause is all about? How many of them are kind of just looking for an excuse, looking for something, looking for a cause that opposes Jews, that kind of gives them a way to kind of rationalize perhaps maybe what is more of a internalized, uh, innate um, or or learned, I don't know, anti-Semitism. But regardless of all of this, so today we're actually going to be talking about all of these topics. We're going to be talking about anti-Semitism. We're going to be talking about the Jewish people. We're going to be talking about our connection to the Land of Israel, the, the Jewish connection to the land of Israel. And we're going to be talking about um, this this claim that comes up really fundamentally it like you know, when we see these anti-Israel protests, and we see the slogans that they're chanting so uh you know so it's easy to get caught up in the more overtly anti-semitic ones where they say things like god forbid death to the jews or things like that but uh but if you kind of go beyond that and we actually and you actually look at their more supposedly reasoned arguments then what they're actually saying like what are their accusations against us like what what gives them they feel the right to have this hatred, this vehemence towards us so much is that they call us occupiers. They say that we stole the land of Israel. So there's a lot of material out there already that gets into this topic politically in terms of did we steal the land of Israel? Did we not steal the land of Israel? What is this claim based on? What do they mean by occupation? You know, what's this all about? Uh, so there's a lot of material about all about this online. So that's not what this podcast is going to be uh, speaking about, actually, because we're actually going to be talking about this topic, but not from a political angle. If you are interested in this topic, there are so many good books out there that talk about the history of the land of Israel, uh, that talk about the history of the Palestinian people, um, that talk about the history of a two-state solution, all these kind of things, you know, historically speaking, politically speaking, there's a lot of material out there. Today, we're going to be looking at this whole topic from a more spiritual perspective. And what we're going to come to uncover, which is really fascinating, is what the spiritual basis is for this claim, for this accusation against us for being Robbers for being occupiers of a land that is not our own, because if you've learned chassidus, if you've been learning chassidus with me or you know on your own, then um then you pro then you know by now that everything that happens here in this physical world has a spiritual element to it. Things don't just just happen by chance. There's always a deeper aspect to what's going on. So when the non-Jewish nations come to us and they say that we stole the land of Israel, that we are occupiers of the land of Israel, that this is not our land, we took it from them. There has to be a spiritual basis for this. It's not coming out of nowhere. And today we're going to learn about what that spiritual basis is. And through understanding what that spiritual basis is, it can actually give us the tools to not only answer them, but actually to answer ourselves and to give us guidance in terms of what our role needs to be in this conflict, in terms of our orientation, and in terms of how we need to fight the war on a spiritual level because ultimately this war is a spiritual one because again everything that happens here in this physical world has a spiritual counterpart to it and i think with this war in particular i think we're all feeling it i think it's very very apparent um that this is there's a spiritual thing going on and so what we're going to be learning about today is going to give us some of the the insights into the spiritual map of what's happening so the source of what I'm going to be talking about today and these deeper spiritual ideas is actually based on a sicha of the Rebbe, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, that was given in the year Tafshin Chaf Vav, that's the year 5726, or in the English data is the year 1965, for, of Parshas Bereshis, the very first Parsha in the Torah. And to be more specific, this is a sicha that the Rebbe gave on the very first Rashi in the the very first Parsha of Brachis. So for those of you who may not be so familiar with this very first Rashi in Brachis, as we'll see, it's extremely relevant to what's going on in Israel in the sense that, that Rashi actually speaks directly about this accusation that's going to come um, from the nations. So in brief, basically Rashi is... Uh, asked the question at the very beginning of the Torah, at the very beginning of this Parsha of Breshis, and he asks why the Torah begins in this way, in this in this retelling of the story of creation. And he questions this, and he kind of says that it's not so obvious that it should begin this way. He actually thinks that it would have made a lot more sense, seemingly, for the Torah to begin much later with the first commandment that the Jewish people were given, given, namely the, the commandment to bless the, the new month. But the but then Rashi answers his own question and he says that the reason that the Torah began this way with the story of creation actually relates to the land of Israel. And he says that there's going to come a time that the nations of the world are going to come to you and they're going to accuse you the Jewish people of being robbers, of stealing this land. And here's how you need to answer them. And he gives us the answer of how to answer the non-Jewish nation. So we're going to get into the question. We're going to get into the answer soon and all of that. But a couple of interesting things that I wanted to point out here of note is, first of all, um, we take it for granted, this whole discussion of, Israel, you know, and people calling us occupiers, stolen land, all that stuff. It's, it's such a big part of our lives. Like my entire life, I remember this conversation going on. You know, there's constantly been, uh, you know, the Middle East conflict, the conflict between Arabs and Jews and this fight over the land of Israel. It's, it's such a, a part of our reality. But Rashi lived almost 1000 years ago he was writing this commentary almost 1000 years ago Rashi lived in France between the years of he was born in 1040 in the year 1040 and he passed away in the year 1105 so it's really amazing because at that time as far as i know um you know there was not this same discussion about the land of Israel like we didn't even have this ownership uh in any sense really over the land of Israel in modern history until 1948 so I think it's quite amazing that Rashi had this foresight that he, you know, he gave us this, uh, This he preemptively gave us the tools to be able to speak to the nations of the world and how to answer the nations of the world when this topic would come up, as it inevitably did. The other thing that I think is interesting about the Sicha is that the Rebbe gave this talk in the year 1965, in the Hebrew year of Tavshin Chafavav. Or 5726. And so 1965. This was before the Six Day War even. So I don't know. You know maybe one of the listeners know. What prompted the Rabbit to give the Sicha over. During that time at that year. But I think it's really prescient. You know given that this Sicha. As we'll see this talk. Contains within it tools. That became extremely relevant. Uh in just a couple of years later whether we're talking about the six-day war in 1967 the yom kippur war 1973 the numerous conflicts that have come up you know throughout the more smaller ones and then uh and then we see now you know with the current war that we're waging right now it's always it always boils down to the same question this whole accusation that comes from the nations of calling us occupiers calling us robbers for taking land that is not ours claiming that the land of israel is ours and saying that this is a false claim and giving us the tools to be able to answer them and to answer ourselves as well. And then finally, on a more personal note, in terms of how I personally came across the Sicha, I think it's pretty amazing. And this is what makes me so passionate to, made me so passionate to learn it properly and to teach it to you guys, uh, is I actually found out about the Sicha on October 7th, believe it or not, when I was very peacefully and obliviously relaxing, in my brother's home in Passaic, New Jersey, over Simchas Torah, on the day of October 7th, which was uh, Shabbos, October 7th, also Simchas Torah. And due to not using the media at all, not being around anybody who is on the media, on the news, on their phones or anything, we had absolutely no idea what was going on in Israel. Uh, I happened to, I live in Crown Heights and uh, I happened to go away for the holiday to my brothers. I found out later that everybody in Crown Heights knew exactly what was going on. People had actually left in the middle of Yom Tov, in the middle of Shabbos to go on planes, uh, uh, to go fight the war, to join the army. Um, so pretty amazing stuff that I found out. But in comfortable Passaic, New Jersey, I had no idea. None of us had any any idea. So we were just in our own little cocoon of, of Simchas Torah while all of this chaos was going on. But I was sitting at my brother's home and I was actually learning the Parsha of the week, which was Parsha Sparishis, you know, because it was Simchas Torah. And I was reading out of the Gutnik Chamesh, which is a translation and also contains some commentary by Rabbi Chaim Miller. And uh, I happened to read this summary of this exact sicha, and I found it really fascinating. I found it really intriguing, talking about this idea of, of, um, of, of this first Rashi and how the nations of the world accuse us of being robbers of the land of Israel and how we should answer them. And it sort of pointed to the idea of us having this inherent connection to the land of Israel a special kind of connection to the land of Israel that no other nation has in regards to any other land. And so this really piqued my interest and it kind of gave me a sense that there was something really deep here in terms of really being the answer over and above all the political debates and everything like that. I I had a sense that this sicha that was being summarized contained within it something much deeper than all of that that would serve as kind of the answer to this whole Arab-Israeli conflict and the fight over the land of Israel. And little did I know (laughs) that just how relevant it would be once I found out afterwards, you know, what was going on and the war and all of that. And like many of you, I think for a lot of us who are have not been or who don't live in Israel, who haven't been in Israel, there was sort of like this initial feeling of like almost a helplessness, like like what can I do? You know, like I'm not I'm not in the army. I can't fight in the war. Like what can I do? We give charity, you know, and all of that. We pray, we do mitzvahs all of that, but but like, you know, I wanted to do something more than that. And I came across, I happened to come across a a clip that somebody sent to me of the Rebbe talking about war and talking about this very topic of what can we do? What can a person do to fight a war if they're not actually uh, an actual physical soldier? And he spoke about the idea of learning Torah and about how learning Torah uh, is, if, if I find the clip, I'll try to post it, you know, in um in the show notes for this for this episode, uh, but really talking about how learning Torah is a really powerful tool that we can use to fight a war in a real way that can have actual physical effects. And so I thought to myself, like, okay, well, I can do that. I, I like to learn Torah. I, I have this podcast. I have my writings that I do. And I decided to take it upon myself to learn the Sicha in depth and summarize it, translate it, and teach it and give it over in this podcast. And I thought correctly, you know, that this would be a really good opportunity for me to really learn the Sicha in depth. Um, To be fair, I didn't really know what I was getting into at that time because um, when I took on this project, I didn't realize, first of all, that finding a translation of the Sicha, which was originally given in Yiddish, would be virtually impossible for me to find um, in searching for it online so what I actually believe it or not decided to do is I said you know what this is a good opportunity for me to try to really learn Yiddish um, which I don't I, I, I know Hebrew but I don't. I'm not <laughs> so familiar with Yiddish so I said let me buy a Yiddish dictionary and really try to just get through the this myself and see and see if I can try to figure it out that way. So in this attempt, um, I actually also didn't realize just how, what a complex sicha it is, what a lamdasha sicha it is, and, you know, kind of uh, from vernacular, like it's a it's a very academic, scholarly kind of sicha. So it was actually a lot more time-consuming than I realized, you know, together breaking breaking my head over the Yiddish was one thing, and then also just over the ideas and piecing together all of the the kind of weaves and maps and trails that the Rebbe takes <laughs> takes the the person on in learning the sicha. But thank God I did get through it eventually. And I have to say it's been quite a journey and I'm really, really happy that I did it. Uh, it is a really fascinating sicha. It's really, really deep and it's multi-layered. It does obviously talk about the land of Israel and our connection to the land of Israel, but there's a lot more there as well. It talks about learning Torah. It talks about Torah uh, itself, what Torah is. It talks about the Jewish people. There's, there's a lot there. And one of the things that I think is like kind of a really interesting thing about the Sicha that only kind of occurred to me as I was going through it and, and kind of really at the end is that the bottom line takeaway of the whole Sicha, as we'll see, is really about the importance of learning Torah and the power of learning Torah. And not just learning Torah, you know, in any old way, but actually really learning Torah in a, in a way of effort, really uh, toiling in the study of Torah. It should be difficult. It should be challenging. It should be something that we need to work for. Uh, one of the ideas, not to give too much away, but one of the one of the topics that comes out in the sicha is the idea that some of many of you may have heard this already, but. Um, There's this idea that all of us learned the entire Torah, were taught the entire Torah in our mother's womb initially uh, before we were born. And then after being born, then an angel comes and taps us on top of our top lip. And that's why we have that little mark on the top of our lip and causes us to forget the entire Torah. And then our lives are really made up of really trying to uh, recall, remember, relearn all this stuff that we that we that we forgot that we were taught originally in our in um in our mother's womb. So the process of learning Torah with effort is really emphasized in this in this sicha and this talk that we're going to be learning and why learning Torah with effort specifically is so important. Why did we have to forget it? Why couldn't we just you know learn the Torah in our mother's womb, be born and know the entire Torah, uh, why did we have to forget it? Or if the whole point is for us to learn Torah, you know, then why did we have to be taught it initially at all if we're just going to go forget it later on? So this is going to kind of be the conclusion of the entire sicha of of Tying in uh, the land of Israel and the connection of the Jews and everything and tie that into learning Torah. Um, but what I think is really, really interesting about it is, as I mentioned, you know, this sicha is probably one of the most difficult sichas that I've ever learned, to be honest. Uh, it's really time consuming, really grueling to get through a lot of details, a lot of things to keep track of. And I don't think that this is by accident. I think what the Rebbe is doing here, it's kind of in a funny way, is is uh, in structuring the Sicha in this way, he actually is taking us on this journey of doing exactly what this Sicha is asking us to do. You know, so the Sicha is telling us to go learn Torah uh, with effort and with toil. And the way that we get to this message is through learning Torah with effort and with toil. So, with that being said, uh, we I, I, we will be learning the Sicha together to the best of my ability. I'll try to give it over to you as best as I can. Uh, there is a written format for this as well. So I actually did write up, as I mentioned, a translation of the Sicha and I kind of organized it in a way that makes it a little bit, in my opinion, easier to understand, easier to get through. So uh, I'm going to link to that translation in the show notes, uh, and you can feel free to follow along with that as we go through the Sicha. I also wrote up, wrote up as, you, as you'll see, I'll also post that as well, an introduction to the Sicha that addresses some of the things that we spoke about already, maybe getting into it a little bit deeper in terms of the context of this Sicha um, for now, for current events of what's going on right now in the world. In terms of the events of October 7th, in terms of the subsequent war against Hamas that we're waging right now, in terms of the Jewish unity that we're experiencing and the rise in anti-Semitism, and how this Sicha really, in my view, is really the answer to all of this and, and brings all these pieces together. So as I mentioned, this is quite a big endeavor. This is a pretty big project. So I'm going to be breaking it up into parts um, because otherwise I think this would just be a little bit too long as one podcast episode. So this is going to be part one. I don't know how many parts there will be. Uh, I'm going to conclude here for now and just kind of leave this for you as an introduction to the Sicha and next time on the next episode of the series then I will dive, we will begin our dive straight into the Sicha itself, into the body of the Sicha. We're going to start off by looking at that Rashi that I mentioned, the first Rashi, looking at the text of the first Rashi uh, and then we're going to get into what the Rebbe has to say about all of it and analyzing Rashi's question, analyzing Rashi's answer uh, and a bunch of other things. So stay tuned for that and I will see